This is a Relay Project. Real Talk starts right now. Here's Ryan Jesperson. On this Wednesday, January 11th, we welcome you to Real Talk. Thanks for making time for us. Ryan Jesperson, John Hicks in the house. Good morning. It's nice to see your face. Yeah, nice to see you as well. I like that I walked in the studio today. Of course, John's already here hard at work preparing the studio for in-studio guests. <laughs> hard? Uh, Not hard. Uh, we'll introduce. I'm trying to pump your tires, pal. <laughs> Fun And one. I wanted to give you credit. I walk in the door, and the first thing you say to me is, how are you doing mentally, physically, and professionally. Yeah, because I feel like guys especially do this all the time. How you doing? Good. That's it. Or how you doing and then keep yeah. walking and don't even wait to hear the response. And you did have some things on your mind, so you got them off your chest. Like, yeah, yeah, I couldn't get the car started this morning. And <laughs> yeah. so I said, well, John, as a matter of fact, since you asked and it felt good to kind of bitch to somebody for yeah. a minute. And so I appreciate that. Mm-hmm. Coming up in about a, a half an hour from now, really looking forward to this conversation. Professor Timothy Caulfield is going to join us uh, over Zoom. This is um, it's not like funny but it is it's funny uh, on the show a couple of days ago you know if you watched monday if you tuned in on monday charles adler and our adler and i started kind of like waxing about how we how we felt or how a specific news story was landing with us mm-hmm. in particular vaccine requirements for organ transplant recipients or at least those that even want to be on the wait list and and i was ruminating about it and i thought it kind of it kind of struck me as weird now i've championed the vaccines i do champion the vaccine you should get vaccinated i hope you do i did my family did and i think that it's really important but it kind of struck me as as a little bit i don't know a bit of a red flag or a talking point or, or something it rubbed me the wrong way that that people are getting bumped off wait list because they're not vaccinated and we didn't have all the facts and we didn't have all the background but like regular people do when they start talking to each other we started talking about it and it lit a fire under you real talkers and so on tuesday's show yesterday we got into a whole bunch of your emails and we checked in with one of our audience members our community members dr bradley martin who told us about patients in his practice that have that have had organ transplants and have gone through the process and he shared that insight well today Professor Caulfield's going to join us. And John, on December 28th, so like two weeks ago, he published a paper, a research letter uh, for the JAMA Network that specifically looks at news coverage of COVID-19 vaccination requirement for organ transplant and the implications it's had on public attitudes. It's perfect. The table has been set for this conversation. And so I'm really looking forward to that. So that's going to be Professor Caulfield coming up in about 25 minutes time here on the show. In the meantime, I want to introduce you to two friends of mine, but I can't tell you many details. I can tell you that they're on their way to Ukraine, but we can't say when in, you know, specifics. And we can't say where they're going exactly uh, because quite frankly, their personal well-being, their safety's at risk. They're volunteers, and uh, boy, are they ever doing unbelievable work with Firefighter Aid Ukraine. As you're listening to this or as you're watching, you can check out their website, firefighteraidukraine.com. It's a pleasure to welcome to the Real Talk studio, Kevin Royal and Nikki Booth. A good morning to both of you, and thanks for being here. Good, good morning. morning. Yeah, where, where are you? Are you coming from the fire hall this no, morning? No, no, I'm on vacation. You're on, you're on vacation. 
By the stubble, yeah. Yeah, but you don't do vacay. No, you I don't, don't do vacay. No, no. Vacay for a lot of people is like flip-flops and sand no. between their toes. And for you, it's fundraising yep. and logistics. And, and uh, I mean, obviously, let me encourage both of you. We got the coffees going. Let's just hang out, interrupt each other, and just tell stories. How did Firefighter Aid Ukraine get started, and, and what's it all about? Uh, Jesus, over 10 years ago, I went to Ukraine with a Rotary Group Study Exchange. Uh, and it was focused on... Sorry. It was focused on uh, emergency services. And I went over as a firefighter and I got to see what the conditions were like over there. And I came home and I wanted to do something about improving them. They were, their firefighters had no tools, no equipment. They were using archaic stuff. Like the trucks were literally from the Soviet era. So was their bunker gear. And when I came home, I wanted to try to do something to improve the conditions over there. So those guys could uh, go home safe to their families. So this is way before Russia's aggression before on Ukraine. That, over 10 years ago. And the project's been, been been going for nine now. And we started shipping over equipment over there with the help of the Rotary Club, communities, different companies. Yeah. Like you've, you've even shipped like trucks over there. When you talk about equipment, you've shipped a ton of stuff, haven't you? Not to Ukraine. We just shipped the truck to Lebanon. Okay. So we help out other places around the world, but we focus on Ukraine. Okay. Um, but x-ray machines, um, firefighter bunker gear, extrication tools, stabilization equipment, I think, what are we at, 200 and... So I, I said we were about 240 with our most recent shipment for the... Tons. Yeah, tons, 240 sorry. tons. 240 tons. So yeah. 85 of those were before the war. And then the remaining amount has been in the last, what, 11 months. Nikki, how did you get involved? Um, well, obviously, I know Kevin from when I worked at Edmonton Fire. And uh, in March, I reached out to go and help in the warehouse and saw Kevin for the first time in went 14 years and said hey do you need help with your comms with this and yeah. he said yes and within a week i was on the board because <laughs> you were a, you were a, a pio with edmonton fire back in the day yeah. public information officer right so yeah. so basically you would be the person that that in, in in big downtown tower fires you would be there dealing with the media liaison yeah. you know. i mean to be honest i went to everything i could because yeah. you know i like going into situations like that um so i feel very blessed that kevin's welcomed me on board and um is uh getting me to go to ukraine with with the with the group so it's great. it's and so you're you're obviously tasked I, I mean with a lot of things if i understand your role correctly but but it really in helping canadians understand exactly what's going on here and and what some of the challenges are and how they can help absolutely i mean we're always looking for donations and and we know that that sounds daunting because everyone's asking for donations but what we've said is before you know in the morning so anyone that's you know heading out to go to starbucks or or tim hortons or anywhere today Give us. They're not a sponsor. Either, no. <laughs> uh, but if we'll you're going for coffee. your morning coffee and you're not making it at home, um, why don't you go to our website and donate that $5 or $8 or $10 or whatever? And it adds up. It does make a difference. And, and something like that allows us to buy a tourniquet or gauze and send it over. And you're, you're literally saving a life with just $10 out of your pocket. I'm going to I'm browsing the uh, the photos you guys have uh, I mean just a ton of media up at at uh, on Facebook just people can search firefighter aid Ukraine or again they can check out the website. Um, I feel like some of my questions might be a little bit obvious, but I think that the general public would be really interested, you know, for example, like how did things change with regards to need with regards to some of these life risking mm -hmm. scenarios that these first responders are in over there once the Russian aggression started, once this yeah. war started, what changed? It, it, was, it was bad before the war um with the the lack of equipment or the type of equipment they had but now the severity is just exponentially increased the number of of uh 
uh, of incidences. It's through the roof. Um, it's involving, like, we're, we're, we're talking about buildings coming down. We're talking about uh, dozens of people being injured in a, in a blast attack. Like, it's, it's rocket attacks, drone attacks, attacks on infrastructure. They're, they're taking their toll. So it's, it's the number and the severity of these incidences that's, that's really caused a huge amount of problems and the lack of equipment. So uh, for a lot of these first responders, in particular firefighters, if I'm understanding the story correctly, they're not like professional firefighters, yeah. so to speak. Yeah, they are. But now now the civilians are being drug into it. Well, that's what I mean. It's yeah. like there's a lot of people that, that put it this way. A year ago, we're not firefighters. Yeah. Or first responders, right? Yeah. So, And when things are happening around you, people need to, to react. So this first trip that uh, Nikki's going on, I'm not going on this one. Uh, we need to keep our, our group small and nimble. And the, the strain of resources, we have to really take that into account too over there. So we have a, we've assembled a great team to go over there and teach uh, NATO-based uh, TCCC, which is Traumatic Combat Casualty Care. So that's stopping deadly bleeds, it's stopping blast injuries, it's uh, treating um, uh, airway management and stuff like that. So um, civilians are being drugged into this and people, like you just said, that may not have been in that role six months ago. So we're going over there to to train more first responders in that type of care. How are you preparing for something like this? I mean, I have a great team that I'm going with. Plus, we have an amazing team that's supporting us back home here, um, Kevin and, and the crew. And then we've got amazing hosts that are supporting us there. So really, I mean, it's I'm I'm reading up about TC three um so that i can help in the classroom and i'm learning all kinds of things so i feel like um that's like, really i mean just to point out the obvious you're going into a war zone i know, I know but, I, but she's going with uh an ex joint task force two yeah. medic she's going with an ex princess patricia canadian light infantry yeah. medic but it's both now fire, both now firefighters sure but i mean the thing is is you can i think fear is interesting with this because I say to people, I'm not afraid. And and I know that sounds like, oh, she's naive. Oh, she's d downplaying it. But I, I'm not afraid, A, because I have a great group of people. But B, when you go and look at the pictures that we share on our Facebook page, Ryan, like the need outweighs the fear. Somebody has to go. These people need help and we need to help these you know first responders save lives somebody has to go and if you give in to fear and you get overwhelmed by all of the risks and everything else people won't go and i think the the need is the most important thing right now so you just i, I just don't overthink it we're going let's not kid ourselves. we, right. we we're, we're taking precautions we have yeah. extrication plans and backup extrication plans Absolutely. we have extra ppe um we have we've selected sites that are strategic for us yeah um, yeah, you can't. You can't. Yeah. I mean, not not that you, you can't yeah. share these details. It's it's uh, it's almost interesting. Like you were prepping me for the interview, right. saying here are the things that we would prefer <laughs> that you not ask us about. Right. But it's reiterating to me uh, what might already be yeah. obvious or apparent, which is the the, yeah. the danger here involved. When you know, like I know how well we're being taken care of, both by the you know the deployment team, by the all the leaders within Firefighter Aid Ukraine and our hosts. I mean, you, you take every precaution you can, you, you 
be very aware of the risks and and then you just go and do it right this is an interesting comment does the name lauren corbett mean anything <laughs> yeah to you? yeah you know lauren hey, he's, he's, <laughs> yeah. A great, he's a great friend of the show he was a district chief i think wasn't he yeah, yeah. he was yeah. one, one of my be, chiefs yeah. was he yeah. really uh, well he joins us on the live chat and it's amazing to have lauren here and he says i'd be interested in both of your response he says it's heartbreaking uh, to pack boxes of medical supplies stretchers and other equipment knowing they're going to a war-torn country and will be used on victims of war yeah is yeah. that is that something that washes over and, you and as you victims of war isn't necessarily soldiers it's civilians Civilian. yeah like civilians are being targeted and children yeah. like honestly we put up a post on our facebook page that are photos from what's going on and there is a family and it gets me every time that there's a family running into an emergency room holding their child and it's very clear that that's probably not a positive going to be a positive outcome and then a few pictures later that child has passed and you can tell. And then there's also a little girl who's had her legs blown off. Mm. I mean, it's weighty stuff. There's, there's no doubt about it. And, and, but who you have to help. Mm. I, I just, I don't, you know, be the change you want to see in the world. I know that sounds really corny maybe to some, but like we're, we're doing something. Oh, this and is the real deal. Yeah. So it doesn't get more real than this. No. And so that's why we want people to help us um, with donations, like I said before, because we can buy that equipment, we can ship it over there, and it, it makes it makes a huge difference. And, and like Lauren says, like, yeah. you know, it's been extra machines, it's been tourniquets, first aid kits, um, Intub- hospital beds, intubation tubes, it's anesthesiologist machines. Yeah. Like, we're talking big equipment. Is this, equipment. is this all being coordinated? Like, do you coordinate this with, I don't even know, like, are you coordinating this with like Canadian foreign affairs or you no. through Edmonton fire city of no, Edmonton, we, we government have, of Alberta? We like, have is there some any... great connections with, um, with the, fe- the provincial and federal government and they assist mm-hmm. where they can, but their hands are tied in many ways. They got to stay in their own lanes. Um, we don't receive funding from the provincial or federal government, but we do receive assistance in other ways, other resources, but yeah. Okay. And, and, and actually, this, this, uh, the municipal government's been tremendously supportive too. We were able to conduct dry runs with mm-hmm. U- um, Ukrainian-speaking, well, people of different... Yeah, d- displaced and, and immigrated Ukrainians yeah. came to an event that we did on December 10th to w- where we took our trainers and we took our linguists and we did a, a, a trial run of, of all of this. Yeah, so, they could, so the trainers could have experience training people that don't speak English or speak little English through translation, to, yeah. through translators, linguists. Yeah. That must have been a so, powerful experience for people that are huge. like new to Canada, huge. that are huge. participating in something. Yeah. But I huge. think we, but we, that support yeah. came from the city. Yeah, and we they have, allowed us to use their resources. Absolutely, so. and we're very grateful for that. But also, we've had a lot of displaced Ukrainians come and volunteer at the warehouse mm-hmm. to, to pack things. Um, so they've really shown up to support what firefighter age Ukraine is doing and then you have conversations with them and if that doesn't motivate you to want to do more it's it's very personal and yeah. uh, you get really connected yeah our projects given just local people too yeah Evansonians, Albertans an outlet to help as well mm-hmm. Wow. So, I mean, the, the call to action here is is uh, for people to support. I mean, primarily by way of donation, right? Well, like, that's well, number one. I mean, can, and can, volunteering. And volunteering. You can use yep. uh, sort of human power. You mm-hmm. know, getting the pallets mm-hmm. packed and all that kind of stuff. And are you head? Do you head over with like a big on a big cargo flight? Or you fly we commercial? Did. Or how does we, that work? <laughs> we did. Our first flight, we rented yeah. a plane and packed it, and 
That was a surreal experience. I bet. Yeah. Yeah. This is only our third, fourth trip to Ukraine since the war started. Well, there's been other people with our organization have gone over. Okay. Because, yeah, you're constantly sending missions over. Is that right? Every month or so? Yeah. Yeah. We're always sending. We we have a new strategy. We use, um, we work with Nova Ukraine and Globeco and a few other carriers to ship stuff over on empty space and passenger jets. And you're what? Are you buying like bunker gear for for the uh, for the civilian that doesn't know bunker gear is like what firefighters yeah. wear when they're yeah. firing yeah, fires? It's the yeah, helmets, the, structural the, yeah, stuff. the yellow stuff, the yep, that's fireproof suits. Like, yeah. so are you primary. buying? Are you buying that off municipalities nope. that are um, that are in most cases we get donated? It? It's we have an expiry date on stuff here in I Canada, see. And North, okay. North American. And we've done standards. what almost, almost ten thousand, yeah, almost ten thousand sets of bunker gear, yeah. and they cost to buy twenty five hundred to five grand a piece. Yeah. Helmets are a couple hundred bucks, and you know when things expire, there's still life left in them. We're able to. Uh, it's better than wearing nothing, more. right? Yeah, I know. Yeah. It, yeah, so in some cases, it's it can be new. Like we have uh, the petrochemical industry is huge. They have their own fire departments on right. the refineries, and they don't get they don't use their equipment, but it expires, mm-hmm. and they send it to us. And in a lot of cases, it's never seen a. Yeah, an yeah. incident ever. But never seen a fire. Never. Lots yeah. of life. So, and there's SCBA, so the yeah. oxygen tanks. There's boots. There's gloves. There's helmets. There's you know. There's all. I mean, the amount of equipment is astounding. That's really. our, our primary. Yeah, but yeah. we have other, stuff people other don't goals. think of, right? Like the average mm-hmm. civilian in Canada might not be aware of. I mean, you you think uh, we we can all be guilty of this because we're so insulated and we're so protected from the reality of war. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least our generations, let me mm-hmm. say, uh, recognizing the veterans that have come before us, uh, etc. But but you know, you hear of like I, I sometimes lament the the fact that we look at everything in numbers, like oh, a drone strike killed eleven, or an attack on a wedding. Killed killed 44 and it's it's like if you see the people's faces and read their names you realize these are humans we say well buildings like hospitals and schools you you told me nikki that fire halls have been targeted by bombing they're trying to take out the first responders uh it it, it, to me it's like you know it doesn't occur to us that this could be a civilian that was uh, maybe like a, a a restaurateur or or like a convenience store worker or worked at a gas station 12 months ago and now they're working uh, as a firefighter a first responder but maybe they don't have the adequate equipment but they're being sent into some of the most extreme circumstances the thing is is that numbers take away the humanity of it yeah they're all people like us so i think that's why we like to share as much as we can on our facebook page and show pictures and connect i mean last week three firefighters were killed demining. So firefighters going out and removing mines that have been planted by the Russians. And then also there was a fire hall that was targeted in Kyrgyzstan. Um, and uh, one firefighter died and one was injured. And, and about, I think, what, a thousand first responders have been killed since the start of the war. That was a number that I had heard. Hmm. So... Uh, we've got a whole bunch of people here. Uh, you know, I mean, you hear this a lot. I'm sure Tony says, I don't I honestly don't think I could do this. I don't know if I could do this. Brenda says, what a selfless act to go into a war-torn country. Luke is, I love this, Luke in, in TV talk, Johnny. He's wondering if we can get a Chiron up with the organization's info. I love that, Luke. <laughs> Luke, like, it sounded like he's in the control room. <laughs> right? I love that, Luke. You have my respect. I, I know what a Chiron is, but <laughs> you know Kevin's what a chi- like, yeah. what's yeah. a Chiron? What's well, a Chiron? Well, basically, let me just I say, concur. a firefighter aid yeah, Ukraine concur. is what you want to check out. Firefighter. Yeah aidukraine.com and that's also where you can find them on on facebook uh we're hanging out with nikki booth and, and kevin royal who are here speaking on behalf of a whole bunch of people that are making things happen you never know how a podcast is going to land i was thinking you never know 
who's going to hear it? And so if you like, if there was a number, and I suppose you're going to say you you could you, you could have limitless resources and still maybe not meet the need. But if someone were to right now be listening and feel compelled to strike a check to make one point five million, one point five million, seriously, no, seriously, like uh, yeah. that's what we would like to raise the next year because this yeah. this is one of five scheduled um, deployments f- yeah. around education. Mm-hmm. We have one this on year. technical <laughs> rescue, like rope rescue. Yep. We have another one on extrication and building stabilization, one on urban search and rescue. Yep. Uh, we're helping out an orphanage, orphanage called Misto Dobra. People can look it up. It translates to Sea of Goodness, but you can lo- look up Misto Dobra. Uh, we're helping them with um, a bomb shelter and a whole bunch of fire alerting and fire. A bomb shelter yeah. at an orphanage. And, yeah, just, clear. Yeah, yeah. yeah, we have pictures of yeah. the kids yeah. being. We, when I was there last time, yeah. we were there when the kids had to get rushed into the bomb shelter um, yeah. that and they had, the basement. We should add that there. That it's about 288 children, and most of them it's have growing. disabilities. It's growing. Right? They started with about 80. They're at, yeah, 288 yeah. and growing. Yes. And these are so children new with disabilities. orphans. Yeah, these are, mm-hmm. these are children and, with disabilities as well. Can and, you imagine? And women that have yeah. been displaced with their children, lost yeah. their husbands. or Yeah. 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 So we have, we have a number of other projects, too. Um, so yeah. we primarily base our, our primary goal is to supply equipment to mm-hmm. hospitals, to firefighters, to first responders. And then uh, we also have an educational component that yeah. started before the war was put on hold because of the war, and we're reboot, we're getting it going now. So. Yeah. We're mm-hmm. also looking at trying to help restore the power grid and mm-hmm. safe drinking water. I mean, there's a lot of uh, places in Ukraine that have no power, or maybe have power for four hours a day. There's no heat; it's their winter. And imagine on top of that, no safe drinking water. Like all the things that are basics that we take for granted, mm-hmm. people don't have every day. Can you imagine waking up with no heat? No power and no safe well, drinking water, water potentially. Vitaly just got back. One of our yeah. one of our members just got back, and he spent six days in Odessa without power. Yeah. Without internet, without anything. Yeah. 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 I uh, I I would imagine like this this cause uh, would resonate. It's such an this isn't that such an insufficient word this cause, mm-hmm. but this initiative like what you're doing in firefighter aid Ukraine and and more important or you know bigger picture the plight of Ukraine mm-hmm. uh, resonates with with Canadians and people around the world, but in particular. How does it land in Edmonton? Like, there's such a huge Ukrainian population here. You see Ukrainian flags largest, flying all over the yeah. place. It's the largest um, population of Ukrainians living outside of Ukraine in Alberta. Yeah. 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 So, but it's across. We're, we're heading down to Houston probably right away because there's a huge Ukrainian population there. Is that right? Mm-hmm. Huge. Yeah. So, again, this is, you know, the Alberta government may be joining us down on this trip. Um, the Consulate General from Ukraine here in Edmonton and the Consulate General down there. And we're going down, hopefully, to speak with the governments and the industry, the uh, the petroleum industry down there about finding equipment there as well. Mm-hmm. Wow, it's mm-hmm. a never the, the hustle never ends on this one, right? No, when you said that Kevin doesn't do vacations, when yeah. Kevin's on vacation, Kevin's still doing all of country. this. Yeah, I go to work, and I go to <laughs> or he goes to a war-torn country. You know, I know, like, like full disclosure, mm-hmm. like Ke- Kevin and our kids, they go to the same school, and like every time that Kevin's doing pickup, he'll say to me, like, "What are you up to?" And I'll be like, "Yeah, I got hockey, you know, play some golf. What are you up to, Kevin?" Wow, I'm rounding up fire trucks and bunker gear yeah. and X-ray machines, and yeah, yeah. I'm but, constantly in awe because we have a WhatsApp chat, and we're you know, Kevin's always pulling up 
different things and has new ideas and is constantly working and it's just it's so inspiring it's my and, ADD, uh, I think. <laughs> and I channeled think you, in a good way you, you got the what was it the, what what award did you get we should talk about the award that you got recently was it it's not the order of you canada it's the this. queen's did you oh, the diamond yeah, jubilee the diamond, yeah. My, myself and chris Perka. Perka. hey yeah. congratulations there's someone else on our crew going to be our yeah. team going to be getting it as well so. wow that's great yeah. Yeah. That's great. Well, it's well deserved, yeah, and uh, and you have obviously our full respect mm -hmm. uh, for starters and our full support. And I know that uh, the real talk audience is um, going to respond to this in a big way because I'm already seeing it landing that way in the live chat. You can, uh, if you're on Facebook, uh, search Firefighter Aid Ukraine. It's it's easy to find, and then of course FirefighterAidUkraine.com. It's nice and easy uh, to make a donation. And uh, and as mentioned, these missions, uh, Nikki and Rod saying exactly when you're leaving, uh, but you'll be leaving in the next little bit. And then it sounds to me like what four eight weeks after you there will be another contingent and yes. another one and um, we'll share things when we get back it's not safe for us to share yeah. while we're there we also it's not just protecting us it's protecting the people that we leave behind you bet um but if people follow us on on instagram as well um and we're on twitter uh but you know instagram and facebook we will have photos and we'll provide updates of what happened with our trip and um because we what we want that transparency i mean People are helping us. People are supporting us to do these. So we want to make sure that they know how it went and what we saw and what we did. And that connection point is, is really important for us as well. All right. Well, Godspeed. Safe journey. Thanks. Um, an amazing experience despite mm -hmm. tragic circumstance and necessity. And, uh, and keep in touch. Keep us posted because I know the audience yeah. will be grateful for updates as well. Absolutely. Um, if it works, maybe you could check in while you're over there. I don't know. I'll I mean, WhatsApp if, if it you works, if I, I mean, can. Yeah, I mean, just, it sounds like Kevin's saying some of you guys have been dealing with six days without power, but but if at all possible. If it, I'll, I'll WhatsApp you. I've got your number. Nikki, so the door is okay. always <laughs> open. Put it that way. All right. That's uh, that's thanks. Nikki Booth and Kevin Royal, you guys. Uh, thanks so much. Firefighter Aid Ukraine. Dot com. Uh, this conversation is happening around our Real Talk round table. Of course, it's a beautiful table. The, the actual physical table I'm talking about, designed, constructed, built, delivered by the team at Urban Timber Reclaimed Wood. You can find them online at urbantimber.ca. Uh, I can show you the website right now so you can check it out. You can learn a little bit more about their team. Again, urbantimber.ca is the website. Johnny, toss the website up for me so I can show folks the website here. I want you to see this. They've got a brand new showroom open, and it's uh, on weekends. A great opportunity for you to swing on by and, and actually touch these masterpieces. Uh, there's something really, really special about an urban timber table. It's one of a kind for starters. And uh, number two... Nobody else, nobody else, except for those that have urban timber tables, can quite understand the impact that they have. Somebody walks into the room for the first time. Maybe this is your new living room table. Maybe this is just going to be in time for a big family celebration. They come in, it takes their breath away. The urban timber tables, plus, of course, shelving and side tables and custom flooring and siding and decking. And oh my goodness, the options are endless when you're dealing with urban timber at Friesen brothers we want to let you know that of course we're coming up to the first of the month again in about uh, two weeks from now you're going to circle your calendar ish the first of february your next chance to knock 15 percent off grocery purchases of 75 dollars or more in the meantime if you're looking for inspiration when it comes to healthy ideas recipe inspiration you want to break the mold not the same old same old go to their website Friesen.com. That's F-R-E-S-O-N. Some great healthy ideas. And you can check it all out online at Friesen.com. 
Uh, Kevin Royal's giving me a signal through the glass doors here in the studio. They're throwing on their coats. They're on their way out. He says they're already receiving donations from Real Talkers. How great is that? Amazing. They're checking the website. Donations are <laughs> awesome. already coming in right now to firefighteraidukraine.com. How cool is that? Hey, back to the sponsors. Wanted to let you know that Athabasca University, they see a real uptick in enrollment and a lot of interest in their programs this time of year. Of course, it's the perfect time of year as people start to, to, to get serious about their goals, start to get serious about making positive changes or progress in their life. If that's on a personal level, if that's on a, in a career context, you can take it to the next level with Athabasca University. It's Canada's anyone, anywhere, anytime open university for advanced learning. Of course, your learning is customized. The pace of it, uh, the entire vibe of it, based on what works for you. You want to be pedal to the metal five days a week? You can do it. You want to take some time off? Maybe take a break away from your studies? Maybe the family calls? Maybe opportunity knocks? No deal. No problem. You're not going to fall behind because at Athabasca University, you got the flexibility to learn at your own pace on a schedule that suits your lifestyle. Check out AthabascaU. And a reminder, this Friday, we've got Trash Talk locked and loaded. Your chance to blow off whatever steam you need to blow off, to say what you want to say and have, well, a whole bunch of people hear it. It's presented proudly by our friends at Local Environmental Services. You can keep it local. You know, some people will say it's only garbage, right? You see those big bins out behind a business, a hotel, a restaurant, a retail store. Well, it's not just garbage to Local Environmental Services. They believe communities deserve better. To find out what that means, you can check out their website, including their services and an introduction to their leadership team. A great video online at localenvironmental.ca, family-owned, doing business in Alberta and Saskatchewan. Well, this is a really uh, great opportunity for us to to keep a conversation going, to learn a little bit more about a, a subject that may be very relevant to you. It may not feel relevant at all. Maybe until you find yourself in a circumstance, a loved one that that desperately needs an organ transplant. You know, we talk a lot about signing your donor cards. We talk a lot about encouraging members of our society to do everything we can to ensure that these precious organs are available to people whose lives could very well be saved. It doesn't take too many words to paint a picture of the desperation somebody might feel, somebody who requires a heart or lungs, a kidney, a liver to keep on living, to keep on making memories with their family. A story's popped up in the news in the province of Alberta. A woman who was on a wait list has been bumped off and she's lost two subsequent court challenges because she's not received the COVID vaccine. It's a requirement if you want to stay on those wait lists in the province of Alberta. And so we've been talking about it this week, presenting different ideas and different opinions. What matters most in a conversation like this? The facts. And that's what our next guest has been pursuing. He's just published a paper a couple of weeks ago at jamanetwork.com. That's J-A-M-A network.com. A wonderful friend of this show, Professor Tim Caulfield. Thanks for making time for us this morning, and it's nice to see your face. Happy New Year. Happy New Year to you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, so this, this is really neat. I mean, uh, I reached out to you because I've always enjoyed our candid exchanges. I appreciate how you approach myth-busting and science education, but I'm going to be honest, Tim, I had no idea that you'd been doing a deep dive on this exact subject matter. Why was this on your radar? 
Well, I've actually worked with the, the transplant community for a long time. I've, I've had a number of research grants and, and by the way, a fantastic, amazing community here in uh, in Alberta. Uh, so this is actually a topic that that I've been studying for a, a while with my terrific team at the Health Law Institute. And, and of course, what it does, uh, it, it brings together two areas of interest, transplantation, right? And all the noise and misinformation around around vaccines so it seemed like a perfect topic uh for our, our wonderful team so let, let's uh set the table here so so we really understand what we're talking about it is not consensus across jurisdictions to require covid vaccination for eligibility for organ transplant correct i mean i, I saw some of your reporting online it looks like just uh, in some circumstances only 36 percent. so just over one in three of american transplant centers actually require it now we got to be careful and it's funny that you pulled out that sentence <laughs> because this is something our team talked about a lot so that's what that really represents is you know the explicit requirement that doesn't necessarily mean that it's not a the standard of care for that that uh, center. In general, you talk to transplant experts or transplant teams uh, around the world, and it's completely standard, right, to require uh, a whole host of vaccinations prior to transplantation for obvious reasons, right, Ryan? It, you know, you're Im immunocompromised afterwards. You want to ensure that this precious resource is being used in the best way the best way possible. So you require the transplant recipient to do a whole bunch of things, not just get vac a vaccine. Uh, so that 30%, I think, really represents um, uh, represents centers that make it explicit beforehand. And, and one of the, our recommendations is that, you know, this should be clear, uh, given the controversy around it, really what what the clinical position is uh, for these transplant teams. So you took a look at, at uh, just about 75 different newspaper publications, right? We're talking about like digital media news. We're talking about essentially reporting uh, that the public is privy to, uh, reporting or media coverage that could shape public opinion. C can you give us a sense of, of some of the general observations that you had as you started to study more and more reports? Yeah, so our, our goal is, you know, we had we started with a really big number, and then we sampled down to newspaper reports that were explicitly about this, Ryan, right? So I want to be clear about that. This stuff is explicitly about the exact topic we're talking about. What's the public seeing, right? And what we found was something that we call false balance, mm. uh, which has been a real problem uh, in, in the pop culture space uh, over the last couple of years. And what is false balance is when you misrepresent what the science actually says right you sort of misrepresent what the where the scientific consensus actually resides and you see it with climate change and you see it a lot with with vaccination and what you do is you sort of elevate a a, a fringe view uh to make it seem like well on the one hand we have this position on the other hand we have that position it's kind of a 50 50 kind of debate going on in the scientific community when the reality is you know 98 percent of transplant experts think hey vaccination is important and there may be just a a few friends views and that's exactly unfortunate that we found in these uh in the reporting on this a lot of false balance and that sort of misinforms public debate it can sort of fire anger up right uh, the other thing that happens in the context of transplantation, and we studied this a lot in the past, we've got some research out on this, is something called rule of rescue. Uh, look, there is an individual here that it's easy to sympathize with this individual. You want to save as many lives as possible. So in general, society focuses on that one life, right? That person in front of them, the identifiable victim, right, Ryan? And and that that 
sort of dominates the public the public discourse when we also have to remember there are a whole bunch of other people in line for these these vaccines and uh, I mean for these these organs and and this is especially important in the context of of transplantation when there you know there are so many you know the the resources are so limited and, and so precious yeah and, and here's like <laughs> I'm trying to uh, I'm trying to figure out how to approach this question to you because I'll acknowledge like you, and you talk about false balance and I'm really glad that we can go into this because in life there's like the science and the emotion right like I, I, I try to get not you know too far off track but I think even in in the art of reporting and storytelling you need the facts and you need the emotion and when you'll hear the journalist's voice in a television report they're presenting the facts and then they go to the the the, the person they interviewed on the street and that's the emotion that's the person that says I'm never voting for this mayor again or I'm super pissed off about this and then members of the public go oh yeah because that you know because that that provides the the face of the story Story, right and so we're, we're we're talking about this and organ transplantation and, and the emotion in this is the woman that's gone you know has seen two losses in court and she's she's fighting for her life in the sense that she needs an organ transplant she believes in her world that she's doing the right thing not getting vaccinated right that's the emotion people say are we okay as a society that someone who otherwise may be a candidate for transplantation cannot be on the list because she did not she exercised her right to not be vaccinated that's the emotion now on the flip side the facts are easily and readily available medical professionals will say well you have to take immunosuppressants and 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 obviously organs are in precious supply and we don't have enough of them and there's triage reality when it comes to medicine like this and those are just the facts based by science and when it comes down to developing policy I think most people would agree that facts and evidence and science matter most, but that doesn't mean that the emotion is irrelevant, right? You're 100% correct. You did, you did a great job on that. And again, there's a lot of evidence to back that that up. We know that a compelling narrative, a compelling testimonial, right, a compelling story is going to outweigh uh, often what the science actually says on a topic. <clears throat> Lots of evidence to 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 back that up. It's one of the really powerful cognitive biases out there, right? A compelling story is going to win the day, and that's that's what we have here. And I think it's also really important to emphasize, and we haven't talked about this yet. There's no science, no evidence to support her concerns about the vaccine. None, right? Uh, there's no medical, clinical reason for her not to get this vaccine. And by the way, she has received other vaccines. She's taking all these other drugs. There's no sort of compelling clinical reason why she's refusing this vaccination it's likely informed by misinformation and that's relevant too and the courts touched on that both at both levels right uh and i think it's also really important to emphasize that this isn't a form of discrimination that was highlighted in both the 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 trial level and at the at the appeal level uh that you know you're it's not an immutable characteristic you're making a personal decision about that that's not discrimination right and and the Alberta uh, Human Rights Commission has also said that this is not is not discrimination. It's not a prote protected action. So uh, she really doesn't have a lot to stand on here. She from the science scientific perspective or from a legal sort of rights perspective. Uh, despite all of that, you have, as you pointed out, 
this compelling story, this narrative, and you feel like, you know, something needs to be done. Uh, people can download the PDF of your full report. And, and that's what I'm looking at as I'm talking to you here. And it's, it's, it's fascinating stuff. And I'm grateful that it's been made available to the public. For those that are watching the live stream on YouTube, it's in the chat right now, the link to Professor Caulfield's work. And of course, for those of you listening or watching this later, check out the show notes and we'll have the link so you can check it out yourself. What do you think is motivating? Like, and this is a, this is me asking you for your opinion uh, based on your observations. What do you think is motivating uh, what you might describe as the false balance or, or, or you know, the the uh, the disproportionate uh, tone of some of the media coverage that you've seen? Uh, exactly what you described, Ryan. Uh, you know, people want to tell a compelling story. And, and I think journalists uh, and look, I work with the media a lot. And, you know, there's so many fantastic uh, journalists out there. I think this is a, a system a system issue, uh, uh, not, you know, not that individual reporters have necessarily have a motivation, but, you know, they want to present both sides of a story, right? Uh, they want to create a compelling article about this story, and, and that tends to elevate uh, the false balance. And I, I think that, you know, you can still make it compelling and be truthful to what the science actually says. And what you want to do is you want to use a weight of evidence approach, right, to really highlight the degree to which um, uh, the scientific community has a consensus on this. And by the way, I want to be really clear, this happens all over the place. And it's not just a right wing or a left wing thing. It happens all. Uh, GMOs is a really good example, right? In fact, genetically modified organisms is the topic where is, there is the biggest gap between what the experts say, completely safe, no evidence to consider harm, and what the the um, the public believes, right? And and most about 50-50 think there's some harms associated, some dangers associated with GMOs. Uh, and that's largely in part driven by false balance in the representations of of the controversy and probably marketing in a big way, right? Like, oh, like a lot, increasingly a lot of, so. <laughs> a lot of products that are, mar you know, this better than almost anybody is, is if you, when you market a product, if you say that it's free of something, uh, then it automatically inherently implies that that something is bad, right? And, and it's kind of funny because you could see like, I don't know, in a bottle of water, it might say GMO free on the front. Well, it wouldn't make any sense, but of course it, it's a better and effective marketing tool. Human beings are, we're so easily manipulated, aren't we? Yeah, uh, Ryan, that's part of my next book, actually, that's really? due like in three weeks. <laughs> so I have a whole I have a whole section where I talk about it. you're absolutely right. It's called a health halo. Right. And there's so many of them, you know, non GMO, uh, non toxic. What does that even mean? <laughs> you know, mm. I have no idea what that means. Right? No chemicals added. Like the whole universe is made up of chemicals. I don't know where you're going to eat that you know, on the lip of a black hole. Right. Where particles are being pulled apart. I don't know. So, yeah, you're right. And uh, unfortunately, it's very, very effective. It's a very effective marketing tool. And then what it kind of does is it ossifies that simplistic analysis of, of a topic. You know, GMO is bad, uh, non-GMO good, you know, organic good, non, you know, yeah, I got that right. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, it's, well, it's just it's like buzzwords, I think, that 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 are used in marketing. And we as human beings, I, I don't know that we collectively, myself included, do a great job of sniffing them out and understanding how we're being manipulated. I think it's it's interesting to c compare or contrast, you know, marketing versus media reporting because they're not inherently the same thing. Uh, this is an interesting conversation as well. You know, you are talking about this false balance. We're talking specifically in your research, focusing specifically in the context of vaccine status and organ transplantation. But what about bigger picture? You know, we're, we're like three years into this pandemic journey, if you want to call it that. Um, how would you assess the quality, the validity, the integrity of public discourse driven by media reporting 
present day, maybe even in comparison to how it was two, three years ago? So we're talking legacy media here. Yeah. We're not talking that, you know, the trolls. Well, on, I mean, on, yeah, yeah, no, forget the trolls. I mean, I, I want to keep the, <laughs> keep the conversation the where it belongs. Yeah. Platforms. Sure. So we, we actually have done a study on this, too. Uh, we did a study on how, for example, um, natural herd immunity, right, uh, was portrayed in the popular press. And once again, we found um, a lot of false balance. And, you know, some of your listeners might remember, you know, the controversy around this idea that it was better just to have natural herd immunity than get vaccinated and um, and that we were doing more harm than good. Um, and, you know, no evidence to support that position. And, and in fact, on the contrary, it's a position that's associated with a large number of, of deaths, right? Humans dying. Um, but despite that, again, it was portrayed in the uh, popular press kind of on the one hand this, on the other hand that. Um, and that, I think, did a lot of damage to public discourse on a really important topic. Having said all that, I, um, the media has been, uh, and, and, we, and we followed this really closely from the start, not terrible. How would I put it that way? <laughs> and I, and Sounds like know, my report cards in high school. Not terrible. Yeah, Ryan is not a terrible, not terrible. boy. Yeah. <laughs> he could listen more. Yeah. <laughs> um, the it, it is they have been not terrible by that i mean and, and we started this right at the beginning from you know early 2020 there wasn't that much misinformation like inaccurate facts in in the popular press in fact we were going to do a big study on how the popular press represented the facts and out of the gate they were pretty good i think the, the legacy media recognized this was serious and we got to take a little care in how we're representing the science that's not to say that there weren't gaffes and and there was too much definitive language around things like masks and and what needs to be done and and we we need to improve on that absolutely uh but there was too much false balance i think um on a number of topics uh you know not doing a good job representing what the body of evidence actually said yes we've given voice to a lot of you know cranks and uh, uh fear mongers and so that's been that's been definitely problematic but there have been studies that have shown that if you get your news from the legacy media from reputable sources uh you're less likely to believe misinformation um compared to if you get your news from social media and there's been a lot of studies that have shown that um and yeah that's you know you have to be careful there because you know there's a sampling bias but they've looked at this from a, a lot of different methodological directions and that suggests that uh you know the news that you're getting from the legacy media is more accurate and more informed and is going to lead to better decisions than versus getting your your news from from TikTok. Mm. I've I, I said this in introducing you and and by the way I probably didn't do you like the justice that you deserve in introducing you. I didn't like name your books and all your involvement in your Netflix show or the fact that like on December 29th you were named a member of the Order of Canada. I probably should have led with that, <laughs> but we just this audience feels like we know you and so I just take it for granted and blow right into the interviews. What did that mean uh for you? I mean that is that's an incredible honor to have bestowed upon you in recognition of your work in, in if, if if I can say in colloquial terms, in myth busting. Uh, it, uh, thank you for that, Ryan. It's really nice of you to say. Uh, I was, you know, you don't do the, you know, this, you don't do this stuff for the awards. And I had absolutely, I don't know if you know the process. I had no idea, right? No idea really? this was was coming. None. I had you know, no inkling. You know, sometimes when you're involved, you're involved and you're helping someone put together a package for an award. You have no idea this is happening. They investigate you for, a, I think, like 18 months and um, and I was, I'm sitting in a, a strip mall coffee shop in LA, right? I just gave a, I just gave a talk the night before and, you know, I, misinformation people are yelling at me. 
I just had a crappy week and it was one of those moments in life like why the hell am I doing this yeah the harassment the hate um and I got an email from the governor's general's office and it was urgent and I thought oh my god this is going to be about some committee or there's some policy crisis and believe it or not I was thinking I'm not going to answer this uh because I just don't have the emotional strength right now to deal with it so oh god I'll give him a call and I'm standing in a parking lot uh in LA uh um and I get the news and I gotta tell you I got a little emotional right there in that parking oh, that's lot that's amazing that's amazing I love that and and uh Fuck the haters anyway. You know? <laughs> hey, I want to ask you this. One of, one of the reasons why uh, we reached out to you and, and thought of you for this conversation is, is just because I've, I've appreciated our exchanges in the past, right? I know you to be contemplative and empathetic, um, but you're also someone that will draw a line in the sand. And you believe that right is right and wrong is wrong. And fact is fact. And fiction is exactly that as well. And what I thought was kind of like me speaking personally, here's the real talk on this, is that I've been unapologetic in, in my views on, on vaccines and, and things like that. I mean, the, the entire conversation through the course of the pandemic. I remember when I was saying this to a friend yesterday, when, when restaurants and movie theaters and, and public entertainment venues were, were getting set to potentially reopen. And we were talking about things like vas vaccine passports. And, you know, some people, unvaccinated folks were crying out and saying, well, this is discrimination. I can't go to the restaurant. I can't whatever. I mean, honestly, like my my uh, response to that was like tough shit. Like it, it, it honestly, I was I was unapologetically in support of things like vaccine passports and the like um, mask policies before we had the vaccine. I mean, I've been very, uh, very strongly in support of that. But like something about this vaccine story just rubbed me the wrong way. And I, I will be honest, I didn't anticipate, neither Adler, Charles Adler, nor I uh, anticipated the blowback that we would receive based on our impromptu, spontaneous conversation on Monday. Um, I don't think that's a bad thing because I think that this is how conversations happen in real life. I think that this is how people educate themselves and learn about things in real life. But the one thing that stuck with me is is the legacy of COVID. And it's what I've been reflecting on over the last 48 hours or so. And and I asked about it, you know, the general public in a, in a tweet, like, do you perceive there to be? And I'm not trying to ask the question in a divisive way, but but two classes of people or two types of people. Uh, Dr. Bradley Martin, a physician out of Hinton yesterday, I asked him if he felt that way. He said, no. He said, in my practice, the, the, there's just one group of people. They're my patients and they're treated as such. But as policy unfolds, I mean, this this transplant list, this is just one example. I mean, you know, life insurance rates could be higher for people that are unvaccinated. There could be other implications as as time unfolds. Are you comfortable? I'm asking you a personal question with the direction it's moving in. Do you believe it to be proportionate and reflective of the science or or do you share some of my discomfort in, in either specific scenarios or bigger picture scenarios about what society will look like moving forward? Well, I think you touched on a really important word there. If these policies are rooted in good science mm -hmm. and good public health, um, it makes sense because you have to remember these are personal decisions, right? And the other thing I, I think that isn't said enough is that very often these positions are informed by misinformation. And I'm not just speculating here where there's a relatively robust body of evidence that tells us that. Earlier in the pandemic, yes, there were issues of access. There were issues of even uh, needle phobia, which is is a real issue, right? Uh, there were issues of lack, you know, inequities 
and, and uh, poor distribution. And of course, there are also issues of uh, distrust, justified distrust between communities and institutions, right? Those issues remain, and we have to be vigilant to make sure that we address them in an appropriate way. But if you look at the research, most people that aren't vaccinated now um, aren't vaccinated because they believe misinformation. It's often for ideological reasons. Um, you know, the Venn diagrams overlap incredibly tightly. So we have to remember that. Now, that doesn't mean we shouldn't be empathetic and we shouldn't listen, but that does mean we need to figure out ways that we can communicate with those communities to make sure that their decisions aren't, aren't informed by misinformation and informed by by the science, right? I think mm. uh, that's really important. Um, and we also have to remember that society makes decisions like this all the time in liberal democracies. You need a driver's license to do things, right? You uh, you have to uh, get vaccines to go to certain countries, right? You have to get other vaccines to do other kinds of things, uh, you know, on and on and on. I, you know, we have food safety laws, right? We have, we have seatbelt laws and people go, oh, that's a, you know, false equivalency. It's not the same thing. You know, the, the debate around seatbelts, uh, Ryan, when it, they were first being introduced, very similar to the debate around vaccines. Oh, seatbelts do more harm than good. You know, you can't get out of the car. You're infringing on my liberty. Uh, if if the airbags worked, uh, masks, why do we need, uh, you know, why do we need seatbelts, right? On, you know, on and on and on. In fact, we need both, right? <laughs> we need both, we need the airbags and the seatbelts. Uh, so I, I think we need to be very careful to understand, you know, what the concerns now if it's arbitrary if the science isn't there to back it up if it seems like some kind of uh vengeful policy that where we're trying to punish people for their i don't support that because that's not a constructive way forward for society more broadly right uh, but if it's a public health based decision it makes sense insurance companies for example they make these kinds of discriminatory decisions all the time it, um insurance is based on discrimination that's insurance how it works. is that's the how most actually... discriminatory industry on planet earth yeah that's that's the point in a way right um so it, it becomes you know we have to be careful that we don't just say and why is it just the covid vaccine right why are we having just the the COVID? the legacy i'm more worried about is the impact that this converse these kinds of conversations have on vaccination hesitancy more broadly you know we know that pregnant women aren't getting vaccinated as much we know that the mrmr the measles vaccines rates are going down um this is going to kill people this is going to kill people right this misinformation it's the misinformation about COVID's bleeding into other areas so is the distrust fostered by these fear mongers and that's the legacy I'm really worried. Hey, about. I don't have the numbers in front of me, so I'm like, but but I do know trend wise, and I'm, I'm certain the evidence would support that uh, that uptake on boosters is is like really pathetic. Uh, I don't have the actual numbers in front of me, but but most Canadians, like most Canadians, have their first shot. Most Canadians have their second, but the booster numbers just plummet. They like hit the floor. Why do you think that is? I, I think this is a, what again a, a sort of practical tangible uh, results of all the misinformation and distrust that has you know festered around uh, around COVID. That's one of them, right? I, I also think there's completely understandable uh, COVID fatigue. And again, research shows that that's the case. You yeah. know, there's a study that came out not that long ago. I think, you know, ha about half the country doesn't think about COVID, COVID anymore. 
Um, so, uh, you know, I think there's all those those elements uh, at play. And I also think they've done a terrible job, you know, the public health officials, I'm pointing at my community a little bit, it, talking about the booster. I don't even like the term booster, to be honest with you. I, I you know, we get the flu vaccine every year. I, I think we should have reframed it a little bit differently and just made it clear that this is just something that you get. And I, I think it's really, really important to also emphasize we have incredible surveillance. This has been the most studied vaccine in human history. When people talk about it being experimental, it's been incredibly studied. We have tremendously ro robust uh, surveillance mechanisms, you know, so so robust that we're able to, you know, detect these little, you know, these blips that get in investigated. Um, and the safety profile is there is the bottom line, right? So I, I think we did not do a good job representing uh, the boosters um, and also talking about the benefits of the booster, right? Um, yes, it, it, you know, it's it doesn't stop you from uh, uh, getting COVID, um, but it definitely has a huge impact on hospitalization. It has an impact on death rates. Uh, it has also an impact. Look, you know, people say, oh, it doesn't stop transmission. There is some evidence it also has an impact on, on transmission because of viral load. You know, all of those reasons make getting a booster a very, very good idea. Is it, the, the more you're talking, I'm, and I'm, I keep revisiting your seatbelt analogy, and I'm like, man, it, it works at a number of levels, doesn't it? But, but it's wild to think about, isn't it, when we talk about changing attitudes in society that don't take that long i mean I'm, I'm not old but i'm not young but you know in my serving and bartending days i worked smoking sections like I, I'm, I'm that old yeah. you know landlines and the whole nine yards but it, it actually wasn't that long ago that people would be cruising around no seat belts in the car i mean think about how uncomfortable the average person would be right now hurtling down the highway at 110 kilometers an hour with no seat belt on uh you know windows rolled up cigarettes burning you go 20 years further back probably beers cracked in all the seats i mean it's just it's unbelievable how quickly things change right it, it is and uh, you know the seatbelt analogy also from a political perspective is is very very simple you could take you could snip the language used arguing against seatbelts and place it in uh, in, in you know the public health debates that we're having having right now, incredible, incredibly similar. So it's not a total false you know uh, um, uh, comparison. And, and, and of course, there's the biomedical aspect that people say is different, right? It, which is true, right? It's true. It's another element when you're talking about the about the vaccines. But given that incredible safety profile, I don't think we should forget that uh, that also makes it more more comparable. Remind us what the new book is called and when people can pick it up. Uh, I don't know what it's called. You really? Know, like 70,000. <laughs> you know, it's you funny. I just got a note from my editor right before I came on. And people say, hey, what's the book about? You know, I don't know. Like 70,000 words in. <laughs> it's funny. I would always, you, you understand this quickly when you, when I would interview print reporters and I would say, you know, you know, John Smith is the, is the author of this piece in X newspaper. The headline reads, da, da, da. And I would say, why would you write it? And the, the journalists always say, I don't write my headlines. I'd be like, okay, do you name your books or does someone else I name do, your books? I do. I do. And so, you know, this is something I should be able to tell you. Okay. Okay. Well, I got, so. I, you can give us the inside scoop next time we talk. Honestly, that you're, you were literally the first person that came to mind when we wanted to have this conversation. And of course you deliver a driving, dialogue uh based on evidence and uh and, and from an empathetic perspective as well uh, a member of the order of canada professor timothy caulfield wonderful friend of this show thanks for doing this 
Thanks for having me on, Ryan. Love you it. got it. You got it. There he is. Uh, you can follow uh, Tim, by the way, on Instagram and Twitter at Caulfield Tim, uh, and just Google him, and you'll be able to learn all about his his Netflix show and like his his past books. Um, I think the first book I interviewed him on was "Is Gwyneth Paltrow Wrong About Everything?" Yeah, I was reading his book. His book right on now celebrity on his, culture, his which is so things. good. Uh, Relax, damn it, was his most recent one. But then they, I just ordered the, this. You just I just ordered this while we're talking because as he was talking about that, this is a big thing for people who are plant based, especially we get inundated with all this crap that GMOs are bad. This is like if you're a plant based person and you follow any plant based pages. Yeah, basically don't eat food because everything is bad in some way. Right. Uh So me and my wife have had to navigate through all those things. We figured out that like GMOs aren't that bad for you. Like, yeah, eat organic if you want. But like GMOs, like we needed them for farming to go to the next level. It's yeah. literally why farming is the way it is today. But I was just reading. I was like, oh, I haven't seen this book. So I just ordered it. If you guys want to go uh, penguin random house, Canada uh, CA. And it's great because they give you options on there. You don't have to order from Amazon or chapters. You can order from your favorite There's bookstore literally or a button to hit shop local. And I just put in the postal code, ordered it from a local shop. I'm not going to say the name. And I No, say the name. Who no, would? no, I'm not going to. Okay. For a specific reason, but I'm going to go pick it up after <laughs> the show. For a specific so. reason. Oh, I can't wait to get off air so you can tell me the reason. But no, that's awesome. And, yeah. and, uh, and he's uh, just a, uh, obviously a really sharp guy. And he's I love no the nonsense way that he, guy, uh, right? He's a no-nonsense guy. Yeah, the GMO conversation. It just, man, oh man. Be, we used to. But just, if you talk to anybody in agriculture, they're like, come on. Yeah. Like, do a bit of reading, like, you know, and, and do some research. And now you, someone's going to come at us and they're going to describe you as a slave to Monsanto. <laughs> and you're going to have to dig your way well, out of this GMOs one, GMOs were literally created so we could, you know, continue to have, you know, successful farming. That's what happened. And, sure. I and mean, and this is going to be a conversation. Uh, yeah, we'll, we'll definitely get expert voices on this. What we should do is put together a roundtable on the future of sustainable ag, mm-hmm. uh, because the more that you read about what's happening uh, to to valuable topsoil and and cropland and to the the profession of farming and the financial implications and big business and and mm-hmm. the whole nine yards, the future of food is a fascinating. I almost feel like we'd need a week. To yeah. try to tackle that subject matter, but and the GMO thing, like people used, to, we used to go to the grocery store and we'd look at like the organic stuff versus like you know the other stuff that comes from Mexico or wherever, and like why is the broccoli so big? Mm. Why is the why are the Brussels sprouts and asparagus huge? That has to be GMOs and chemicals. But then like now I follow like I literally follow plant based people who have gardens in their backyards down in California yeah. and in the states, and they're growing food twice as big as that naturally so there's all these things that like i said are myths out there and they need to be busted by people like tim now square watermelons on the other hand that's weird (laughs) (laughs) i read i read that the originator the 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 uh the inventor of the square watermelon did it so they can stack more easily so they can ship more easily (laughs) which which you would think in theory if they're shipping more easily and more efficiently they're probably saving on on, on carbon output with regards to the the amount of uh, packet anyway mm-hmm. whatever I'm getting into a rabbit hole but I was thinking like like what, it's like what what did you do with your life I cured Alzheimer's what did you do I invented square watermelons <laughs> but both of them valuable services uh, I really appreciate um, everybody that's uh, including the reminders here that if you if you like the interviews you're hearing go ahead and hit the like button on YouTube we're, we're, we're not embarrassed to ask you to do that if you hit like and subscribe if you 
share our content and tell your friends. The show has a bigger reach and these conversations resonate more strongly. Uh, Curtis says that I should tackle the milk cartel. Curtis wants me to talk about supply management. I should. I'll get yeah. my cousin on here. The the, the the big the Jesperson dairy farmers. That's one. been the the family history for generations, mm-hmm. and they're not afraid to talk about it. They'll mm-hmm. come on and talk about it. We'll do a roundtable on supply management. How much does the average Canadian know about supply management? Probably not enough. No. When politicians bring it up, though. Right, whether it's Maxime Bernier or Andrew Scheer or whoever it is that brings up supply management, mm-hmm. opposite sides of that coin, by the way. You remember Andrew Scheer guzzling a one liter of skim milk at the. Uh, <laughs> that was, it was all like, downhill from it's, there. It's one of my favorite. <laughs> it's one of my favorite political captures. Like one of my favorite photos is Andrew Scheer just holding this mm-hmm. quart of milk, just sculling it at, at the podium. It's just it's so oh, it just says so many things, doesn't it? It's, it's pretty funny stuff. Hey, is all this talk about food and drink? It's a good thing it's a Wednesday. It's perfect timing for us to head out to the mountains. You know, every Wednesday we make my Jasper memories, courtesy of our friends at Tourism Jasper. And you probably know if you if you regularly tune into the show, because we've been getting excited about this for a while. This is a big month for our friends in Jasper. It's the annual Jasper in January celebration. Now, everything that we're talking about here, you can check out online at jasper.travel slash January. But I wanted to put two specific events on your radar. Uh, one of them. I'm going to be at. So, Real Talkers, I would love to meet you at this. This is coming up on the 13th of January. This is Vinophilia for the Love of Wine. It's at Evil Dave's Grill, the new location on Cannot Drive. It's an absolutely stunning location. Evil Dave has done a beautiful job with that. Vinophilia for the Love of Wine. Indulge your wine craving. Come and sample wines from around the world. Learn from experts about their unique offerings. You can mingle with your pals. Enjoy a variety of delicious snacks at this cocktail-style kind of a mingler event. There's going to be a full-service bar open through the evening. If you're like Johnny and the wine's not enough, you need to crush a few old fashions. If your cravings are there, you'll be able to venture beyond wine that's under 60 bucks and you can check it out at jasper.travel slash january and then hey all this talking about ukraine today and celebrating ukrainian culture uh check out mountain malanka this is an amazing opportunity through jasper in january uh presented by ufest edmonton ukrainian festival it's the inaugural event a ukrainian new year's celebration in jasper this is going to be absolutely fantastic on the 21st of January. It's a family-friendly event that's going to kick off with a traditional Ukrainian bread and salt welcome. Uh, you can enjoy Ukrainian food and drinks all night long, of course, and then the, the entertainment of the Volya Ukrainian Dance Ensemble and the Ukrainian Male Chorus of Edmonton. I get chills when I think about how they sing. It's unreal. Then, party, polka, dance the night away to the musical stylings of Edmonton's Euphoria Band, an unforgettable way to celebrate the new year Ukrainian style $90 for adults 60 bucks for youth kids under five get in free you can find all the details and then of course book your tickets today at jasper.travel slash January I didn't mean to throw you under the bus there on the uh, old-fashioned mention. I just happen to know that sometimes the the full-service bar at the wine (laughs) events are appealing to people that may want to go to mix and mingle, but they want to shake it up a little bit. You know what I'm saying? I haven't thought about an old-fashioned since Saturday. I don't think I will for another couple days. (laughs) Yeah, we had a decent time. (laughs) We had a decent time. Yeah. Uh, so, So... 
what we wanted to re- remind people about as well is uh, here on the show, you know, this this week has been a great reminder of of the beauty that is a format like this where a subject can pop up. We start talking about something and then that's just the beginning. Right. This isn't a, a show that takes subject matter and ties it up neatly with a bow in under 10 minutes time. We think about things. We ruminate on them. We investigate them. We pursue them. You know, on the editorial standpoint, bringing in guests that understand the types of things we have questions about. And then collectively as a group, we learn and we better our understanding of things. Now, a big part of that is the audience participation. We're so grateful Uh, on two fronts. I wanted to provide two quick reminders. Number one, you can email us anytime to talk at ryanjesperson.com. We try to respond to all of the emails we receive. We can't respond to every single one, but we do our best. We read every email that we receive to talk at ryanjesperson.com. Number two, we have Real Talk official studio issue mugs, and every month we award a Real Talk email of the month. Now, it's 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 a somewhat arbitrary process, but but what we do is set aside emails that really resonate with us and really stir a reaction, positive or otherwise, with our audience. In other words, emails that really get you to think. You can qualify automatically to win a Real Talk Studio mug through the email of the month award by sending us your thoughts. And of course, the inbox goes without saying open 24-7. These conversations happen because of sponsors like our friends at Park Power that remind you that this is a perfect time of year to check out exactly what your utility situation looks like. I mean, if you were put on the spot, would you be able to tell your friends if you were on like a regulated rate or a variable rate? I mean, fixed electricity rate, but do you know? Or is that something that just when when the bill shows up or maybe it's, it's even auto debited out of your account, you see the number going up, you see that it's costing you more, but did you know you could be spending less? Park Power virtually guarantees it. Uh, their current fixed electricity rate plans are almost half the cost of the regulated rate option. It takes two seconds to compare rates today at parkpower.ca. And don't forget, you don't have to worry about being locked into a contract with Park Power when you choose a fixed rate plan. You can switch rates or cancel anytime for free. Nobody does customer service quite like the friendly local utilities provider that is Park Power. Hey, same deal goes with the family-owned team at Eden Landscaping. Uh, Mike wants to remind you there, you know, he started this business more than 20 years ago and has been sustaining it with referrals and return business. Why? Because of the way that the experience goes for people that hire this custom landscape builder. You're not having to hire a general contractor and then a landscape architect. You're not having to worry about the trades and whether or not your supplies are going to show up on time. This is a full service provider. They want you to work with them. They're great listeners. They're not designing your yard for a magazine, though it'll be certainly ready for one. They're designing it for you. And they never lose sight of their goal, which is making your vision come to life. That happens through thoughtful, flowing vision. And that starts with a conversation that you can kick off today by visiting Eden Landscaping at landscapeedmonton.ca. It's also a perfect time of year to start thinking about your sustainable energy goals. And Kubi Energy wants to remind you that if you want to get solar panels up on your roof as early as possible this spring, it starts with a free quote today at kubienergy.ca. You can also give them a call at 1-833-999-KUBI. You know, they've got that 
Canada Greener Homes Grant. This is a great opportunity with the federal government making interest-free loans available for Canadians that want to go green. Up to $40,000 payable back over 10 years without any interest. But the chances are your solar power system's not going to cost that much. You know, the average solar power system's between 12 and 20 grand these days, and they pay themselves off more quickly than ever before. If you have questions, you can get quick answers from the team at Kubi Energy at kubienergy.ca. Uh, John, how many dairy-free dilly bars do you expect to be crushing this weekend? It's insider information. I'm going to keep that between me and my family. But Okay, you and your family. I, mean, I can respect that. I can respect your privacy. I'll tell you that if I got my hands on a box <laughs> of six dilly bars from the Dairy Queens of Northwest Edmonton and Sherwood Park... They wouldn't stand a chance. They wouldn't see Sunday. Put it that way. I can and tell the- you, we've been, <laughs> we've been twice, and then we were out and went back. Yeah. So. Hey, nothing wrong <laughs> with stock in the freezer because it's always a popular choice, whether it's for you, a late-night craving, whether it's a treat for the kids, whether it's an impromptu dessert after a family lunch. Whatever it is, Dilly Bars and DQ Sandwiches are always a hit. And for the month of January, at the Dairy Queens in Palisades, Nemeo, Newcastle, Westmount, and Baseline Road, if you buy one box of six Dilly Bars or DQ Sandwiches, you're going to get the second box absolutely free. There are no strings attached. Speaking of Dairy Queen, it kind of reminds me of... Except for your uh, guilt. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, if you crush 12 in one sitting, I don't mind the 12. You might deserve to feel a little... Because uh, it's January and yeah. I'm still like trying, you know, everyone's trying to think health. And I'm You've been like, doing a really good job. Yeah. Well, they're plant-based, so I just keep telling myself that. Yeah, but but I noticed <laughs> yesterday you had a very healthy lunch. It appeared to be so. You are watching my, yeah. Yeah, well, I'm trying to be a good influence on you. I've got the uh, the grains. I've got the veggies. You've got the I'm, sparkling water at your desk. I've been drinking tea instead of coffee shelf. instead yeah, of drinking right. four coffees a day. Yeah, How I'm are you doing, doing off the coffee? You doing okay? Yeah. <laughs> hard we can't tell though it's hard yeah yeah my energy level still good i would say your energy <laughs> level is still off the charts which makes me wonder maybe 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 you know you don't need coffee after all like some of the rest of well, us well i'm drinking a pretty human. a pretty souped up chai here it's not like a just a lemon okay. tea or something it's it's I got see, a lot of caffeine so. <laughs> so it's it's like healthy with an asterisk yes. <laughs> yeah uh, before we go we wanted to remind you that this date is fast approaching i know john and i are both excited about it the real talk pond hockey classic is, oh, yeah. is coming up on saturday february 4th you can check out the details at ryanjesperson.com you just go to the events page and, and that's where you'll find it it's uh, really easy to link through to the registration page we've got room for 36 teams of four or five skaters uh and that's going to sell out it does every year this is in support of the canadian progress club out of st albert kids sports Uh, providing access uh, to kids, removing barriers to sport, and uncles and aunts at large are going to be the two benefactors, the two recipients of the dollars that we raise for charity at this annual pond hockey event. Think Dairy Queen Burgers, think cold beers, think blazing bonfires, and think the sounds of the ODR, the outdoor rink. It's going to be great. And Johnny Infamous spinning tunes too. It's going to be pretty cool. If it's warm out... It's going to be perfect. And if it's cold, though, we got heated tents. So your comfort is not in question. 
Uh, but what we're really excited about is seeing more and more real talkers get serious and sign up about this before it's too late. Today's a great day to check out the Pond Hockey Classic. Real Talk's annual tradition at RyanJesperson.com. Coming up on tomorrow's show, I'm really excited about a, a chance to check in with Jay Ingram. You know him. I mean, we're talking about people that have made an impact across the country for their commitment to telling positive stories around science. This guy qualifies. And he's talking about brain health in a new partnership he's going to tell us all about. Our Friday Roundtable is going to celebrate some of the edifiers in this month's issue of Edify Magazine. We'll see you soon. Real Talk is hosted by Ryan Jesperson. Executive Producer Josh Dunford. Technical Producer John Hicks. General Manager Katie Cook-Chivers. Account Coordinator Lawrence Durlego. Human Resources, Lena Shepard. Website Design, Mike Johnston. VoiceOver by me, Carrie Skelton. Real Talk's editorial board is Sapria Duvetti, Ahmed Ali, Brandi Morin, Anne Castleman, Corey Hogan, Harmon Candola, Catherine O'Neill, and Chris Henderson. Member Emerita, Julie Rohr. Real Talk is recorded in Edmonton, Alberta on Treaty 6 territory, the traditional and ancestral territory of the Cree, Dene, Blackfoot, Soto, and Nakota Sioux, home to the Métis settlements and the Métis Nation of Alberta. Real Talk is a Relay Project. For more, check out ryanjesperson.com.